Welcome to Be More, a podcast by Pecan. This is where everyone at an organization can hear different and meaningful perspectives on how we can all thrive in this ever-changing and constantly evolving world of work. I'm your host, Patrick Cornoyer. We just wrapped up season five of Be More, and we had an amazing guest for the last episode of the season. Her name is Bev Kay. And if you have not listened to that episode, please have a listen because I have to say it's probably one of my favorites. Bev, thank you so much for joining the conversation and for wrapping up an amazing season of guests. We decided that as we wrap up 2021, we thought we'd try something a bit different. And this episode is all of our favorite clips from the past five seasons. Now, I just want to caveat that by saying we have enjoyed every single guest that has joined the conversation. Over five seasons, I have learned so much. I have heard so many interesting stories, and hopefully you as the audience have enjoyed hearing such a vast difference in experience, perspective, and thought leadership throughout the HR space. So today, we're going to share with you the first half of some of our favorite clips from the past year and a half on Be More. This was one of my favorite moments in Be More in the past five seasons. Torin Ellis joined the conversation just recently, and we were discussing the idea and his perspective on recruitment. He is a recruitment professional, has had many years of experience, and incredibly successful with helping organizations recruit talent. I used a phrase that I have used so many times, and I am sure many people listening today also have used this phrase, diverse talent, looking for hiring, recruiting diverse talent. And I love how Torin took the opportunity to respectfully and safely correct me, explain why that terminology might not be the most effective terminology to use, and did it in a way that truly made me feel good and made me feel that I was in a safe place with Torin to be able to grow and learn like everybody does and like we all should every single day. So Torin, thank you. And have a listen to this couple of minute interaction with Torin and I that really made a difference in my life. How do we attract talent? Particularly, how do we attract diverse talent at organizations? And how do you see focusing on the human element, like you said, that human part of the equation, how do you see that benefiting businesses with attracting diverse talent? Are the two connected? Are the two, do they work together? They do. So a soft edit. Yes, please. I'm not trying to be the word police, but a soft edit is I try not to use the phrase diverse talent. I 
prefer to use underrepresented talent. I try not to use the phrase BAME, B-A-M-E, which is Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic. I try not to use the European BAME. I try not to use BIPOC here in the U.S., Black, Indigenous, People of Color. And I've been extremely guilty, Patrick, of saying people of color because those groupings, if you will, just kind of throw everyone in in a lazy fashion. And so when we say diverse talent, if we were talking about a group like our workforce, to say our diverse workforce, different story. But when we say diverse talent and you are talking about me, it's almost like tokenism because Patrick is diverse talent. Patrick is different than I am. But we don't, when we say that, we're not thinking a straight white cisgender male, but it's it's the same. So it's a bit of a like finger on the chalkboard type thing. Again, I don't want to be dramatic. I'm not underrepresented is a better phrase. Now, you ask the question, how do we attract them? And I agree with you. There is a difference between attraction, hiring, and really about messaging. And my response is the same exact way that you hire white men, the same exact way that you hire white women, the same exact way that you hire a person with or without a college degree from a higher socioeconomic status, from a different region in the world. What I'm getting at is that we far too often try to add some degree of complexity and difficulty to diversity recruitment, if you will, when it just really comes down to messaging and storytelling that resonates. I just want to know that when I look on the website, am I seeing individuals that look like me? If I'm not, don't throw stock photos in. Tell me, listen, we haven't done a great job or we don't have a large audience of people that are Black or African-American. We want to do better. Let's be honest. Tell me the truthful story. Tell me a story about that ambition and that aspiration that I can chase by joining your organization. Another clip where you are going to hear the passion in the voice of Steve Cadigan as soon as the clip starts. Steve joined the conversation a couple of months ago, and we were discussing the changing world of work and the fact that now with all of this flexibility, how is that going to work for the future? How are organizations going to, or are organizations going to incorporate this flexibility into the future of the world of work, particularly in the workplace? And Steve really shares his, his thoughts around the ability to be incredibly productive and potentially even more productive with this new availability of having a flexible life when it comes to work and personal life. I've really enjoyed Steve's perspective. Here's a quick clip of some of his thoughts. I believe the pandemic has served that to all of us. It's shocked us. It's been like this defibrillator, like poof. we've had an electrical shock. The world hasn't settled yet. The ground is still soft. It's still moving. We're not stable. We have this new strain of the virus and there'll probably be another one behind it. And we don't know how to deal with that. But I'm looking at my world of work differently. I'm not going to give up shopping at the store whenever I want to. I'm not going to give up not fighting with people on Saturday to get my hair cut. Thankfully, I still have hair to cut. You know, I want the freedom 
of my time with my family and my kids and not commuting. I'm not giving that up. And never before in history have we had a moment where that's happened. And I've tasted something and I believe I've proven I'm as productive as I could be in the for the organization in this new dimension. Why are you asking me to come back? So forth. And, and so that's a whole nother thing. But it's also, as we touched on earlier, we can see more what's possible professionally and personally than ever before. So the need to have have offer that at scale is growing. I'm on a panel at a conference coming up where we're debating coaching versus life coaching. And there's sort of, you know, what is life coaching and should organizations offer life coaching versus just career coaching or, you know, job development growth. Uh, coaching. And and I had four of these amazing people. I'm the moderator of this panel. I'm just like, what do you want to talk about? And like, well, what does AI have to do with the future of, you know, this kind of coaching and, and so forth. But I, I think every organization philosophically will always agree this is important, but I've never been in an organization where mentoring at scale has been realized. I mean, so it, which is a, an interesting reality. And I would love for someone to show, hey, look, over here, it's really working great. And it probably boils down to the fact that even though intellectually we all agree, yes, we need to do it, we should do it, it is a bit of a blind date in a way. Like you're trying to pair people and the younger, the mentee may feel uncomfortable. And so you have to prepare the mentor, what you're going to get something out of it. Uh, The mentee, this is how you get the most out of it. You've got to prepare those people and then you arrange it. As soon as this next clip starts, you're going to hear the energy in Prabir Jha's voice. Prabir is a thought leader that I have respected and been following for quite some time, and I was very excited when he agreed to join the conversation for Be More. In this clip, you'll hear Prabir talk about how we as individuals grow in our careers and how our environment, work environment, personal environment, help us to develop or impact our development. And one of my favorite quotes from Prabir is located in this clip towards the end. I think you will hopefully be inspired by it as well. Have a listen. If you have peers who are also supportive and who are able to actually cement the gaps in your skill set, and you are wise enough to leverage them and thank them for doing that, oh, they can do wonders to your careers. I talked about a supportive boss. Does the boss give you visibility? Does the boss want to hoard you or does he or she want to unleash you for other opportunities beyond oneself? Make a huge difference. Our clients make a huge difference, right? At the end of the day, we are as good as what our stakeholders, our end clients, whether it's internal or external, how do they perceive us? It's all really about the reputation that you start building. Our family later, you know, I mean, our children, sometimes they keep us honest. Some feedback that I've had from my kids have been much sharper than what I have had from my boss, but I've learned sometimes when your spouse compliments you, when you're feeling low, it gets you back the next day. So many people at work and beyond work, and actually I will add one more dimension, beyond your organizational context, the way you are seen by the world, especially as you get more and more senior, are you seen as a thought leader? Are you seen as someone who is who's writing, who has a point of view, is a mentor or a coach to people even beyond the organization? These enhance your reputation. And I've always, Patrick said this, your reputation precedes your resume. If you are a great career builder, 
you should not really need to be building out a resume. Focus on building your reputation because in today's networked world, your reputation has reached 10 more people beyond what your resume will. And a lot of influences and impressions get already molded even before you get to meet uh, people. So I think you've got to look at it very strategically and put your arms around anyone and everyone who can help you get to be a better you. Hung Lee is up next, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I've been following Hung on LinkedIn for probably for about a year and a half now, two years, and he has great content. It's direct, it's edgy. Hung has no problems with asking the tough questions, and I truly respect that. We discussed the evolution of culture and his perspective on how he sees culture changing in the future and how anthropology is going to be a part of the evolution of culture. Some of the elements of culture, I think we're going to be more anthropological for sure. We're going to end up employing anthropologists, I think. You know, folks that previously had to go into academia and to field work or whatever, those skills are going to be like massively in premium. You know, individuals that understand how communities foster how toxicity emerges, how to create a culture that is cohesive and resilient. We've assumed that hiring managers and line managers know how to do this. No reason why they do. We've assumed HR know what to do, how to do this. HR has no clue. And there's no training to get there. There's no like ideological or academic training to get HR to those places. So I think we're going to end up getting social psychologists into the business. We're going to get anthropologists and philosophers into as employees into the company. That's probably a good thing. You know, these are people that may end up almost playing kind of a shamanic role within uh, the business where their role is kind of not in the hierarchy per se. There may be a formal hierarchy to communicate decision-making, but there won't be, there may be this figure or a group of figures that kind of sit outside there and kind of operate as like a cultural guardian to try and nudge all of the space, all of the units of that culture into the, the same direction. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating how that emerges. I come from an anthropology background, so I'm very excited for my fellow readers of anthropology. Maybe uh, they've got a, a career path ahead of them that doesn't involve tramping through. It's going to be exciting. We're going to run into all kinds. There's no direction we turn that isn't going to run into challenges, right? So one of the big challenges is how do you actually enforce or create a culture that is cohesive, that is nonetheless inclusive, and here is, I think, where we might run slap back into a paradox or a contradiction in a lot of the modern ideas that we have about workplace culture is that, yeah, maybe you do need to be particularly intolerant about certain ideas that exist outside of your company ethos, yeah, as arbitrary as they may be. And, uh, you know, again, that could be subject to complaint and, you know, social media uh, program. This next clip is with Joe Burridge. And I have to say, as I was listening back to these episodes, I just, I really love all of these conversations that I've had. Joe and I, again, had a great conversation. Joe talked to us about transitioning from working in the office full time to being at home and working from home. And obviously, we all experienced it during the pandemic. Uh, having to very quickly change our work lives and all of a sudden our work lives and personal lives and home lives all became one. And Joe shared with us how he has managed to maintain a really 
effective, productive work life while moving homes, having a family, and the idea around habits and how important habits are. And one thing I loved about Joe is his just really honest, fresh perspective on just being a good person. So I think you're going to enjoy this clip. Check it out. I think, first of all, I try to build habits because habits are just something you do without thinking. You don't have all of that process power that goes into it. So I was thinking about the habits I had when I was working in an office five days a week and how I set those up to, yeah, uh, just try and have the most energy, try and be healthy both in, in body and mind. And so that was things like listening to podcasts and audiobooks in the car or on the commute. Um, using that car time as well to call family and friends. I was really lucky in that my previous role, they had a gym in the building that it worked. So I could go to the gym, exercise, and then just go straight upstairs to work. There's all those endorphins flowing from there. And uh, other little things like making sure to go down to the cafe, walk around the town, all of these things. Now, everything I just mentioned was it had all gone when pandemic happened, we were all shifting to home. I also think, quite importantly, two weeks into the lockdown in the UK, I had my second child. Her name is Rose. She's amazing. That meant I then had two children under the age of two and navigating uh, all working from home together. So I really had to think about new habits. What I'm not going to be able to work the same way that I was before. And what's going to be the solution there? I also try to cover multiple things in, in one activity. So that naturally led to thinking, I just need to be out of the house for at least 30 minutes a day. And I loved listening to podcasts and audiobooks. So I will go outside and walk and listen to that. Right, you know, rain or shine or snow, whatever it is, I will just do that. Naturally, I was started walking and thinking, I could probably run, I could probably do this. <laughs> By the way, my base fitness it was as average, you know. Like I said, I went to the gym. I used to play a lot of sport like football and that sort of thing. So yeah, at the, a healthy-ish level, but not nothing too extreme. And so like the run was just, you know, really minimal targets, like 5Ks or less than that, or just like 10K total a week. The goal was always for 30 minutes outside every day for the purpose of like my mind, really, with the byproduct being my physical health as well. That mentality, exactly what I tell people when I try and like encourage my friends or family, colleagues. I'm now at the point where I run a lot more than that, um, that I mentioned. But when I talk to people, I say that it's, it's still that goal that the running is the end in itself. It's not a means to, oh, I need to run this amount by this time or something. Because when you hit that goal, the goal's gone and your motivation leaves. So to give you an idea, I've gone from like, yeah, just thinking that 10K was like a really, really long distance to in February, around 300 kilometers in one month, which meant a 15K before work every day. And now I'm training for a marathon. This clip is a guest named Al Adamson. I'm sure that many of you listening know Al. Al and I met a couple of years ago, and I have been incredibly impressed with his perspective on quite frankly, many things, but particularly around responsibility that organizations have for the well-being 
of their employees. We had a great conversation, and here's a quick clip of Al talking about his perspective on what responsibilities organizations have to take care of the well-being of their people. This applies to people strategy, which in, you know, applies to how people are thinking and feeling about their work experience, which relates directly to everything from learning to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you know, belonging. You know, obviously, in the wake of George Floyd in 2020, and there's, you know, it invites the question: What is the responsibility of organizations? to stamp out racisms, to create safe places for all people. And you know, when we have this level of fortitude and creativity and get the right people in the room, great things can happen. It starts, in my view, with having the discussion first, and that means getting the right people in the room. Obviously, right now, it could be a virtual room. It likely is. But at the same time, this is work. And there's been a reluctance to have it say, hey, are, are we a social organization here or are we a business? you know, trying to produce stuff and, and service customers. It's an, clearly an and in 2020 and beyond. You know, we as organizations, whether you're a public benefit corporation, nonprofit, or, you know, a startup scale up or large enterprise, we all have a social responsibility for the well-being of our people, for the safety of our people. That's not only physical safety, that's emotional safety, that's psychological safety. So I hope we embrace this and really think if that's our intention, then are we going to take the appropriate responses? And the appropriate responses have to be created. It's not just looking at a HBR article and saying, okay, they did that. So, you know, we're going to do that. It's going to have to be designed for what's appropriate for that system at that point in time. And that's work, you know. So, yeah, let's make that happen. Let's do the work. And that was Be More, a podcast by Pecan. Be sure to search for Be More in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future conversations. On behalf of the team here at Pecan, thanks for listening.